You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Fearless Business Podcast, sharing with you the business behind running a business. We're your hosts, Jamie Lieberman and Mary Clavier. Each week, we'll be bringing you great guests, insights from our experiences, and a behind-the-scenes look at all the topics you may be afraid to tackle in your business, but shouldn't be. So sit back, get comfy, and let's get started. Welcome to episode 70 of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm Mary Clavier, and I'm here with my co-host, Jamie Lieberman. Hey, Jamie. Hi, Mary. We're wrapping up our theme of visibility this month. So, Jamie, how visible do you feel? Mary, I feel both visible and invisible because <laughs> I have had to travel to California two times this month in the span of two weeks for two different conferences. <laughs> That's a lot. (laughs) I don't know what time zone I'm in. And it's been awesome. I came out to to California the first time for um, Social Media Marketing World, which was a crazy experience. Thousands of attendees were there. And it was just, it was one of the biggest conferences Yeah, it's huge, right? It's just huge. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it was really cool. I mean, there was like amazing people there, awesome speakers. It's just one of those like navigating and feeling visible when there's thousands of people that are attending is hard. So, but then I came home because got to see the kiddos for a couple days. And then I flew back out and where I'm sitting from right now in beautiful Palm Springs, California for Alt Summit because I'm speaking here on Wednesday. And so Alt Summit is also pretty large. I think they said over a thousand attendees. But for some reason, I feel much more visible at this one. (laughs) I know a lot more people. (laughs) And it feels a little bit more like, I guess, maybe my people. So there is such a difference. It's not necessarily how many people there are. But if you're in like the community that makes sense for you. I agree. I the big conferences are good in a lot of ways. I'll tell you, I spent my time recently, I just finished up a mastermind mastermind event last week that I hosted and it's on a much smaller scale from a big conference but the one-on-one really gives you a really deep dive into people's businesses and building those relationships and so much more so I feel like it's good to have a balance of both I I totally agree with you my preference is the smaller events because I tend to be a person who likes to get to know people Some people say that I like 
sort of effectively depose them because I ask <laughs> a million questions. I am just genuinely <laughs> very interested in knowing about other people and like what they do. And, and so, right. um, the way but it's a lawyer, you know, <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, are you deposing me? I'm like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm now going to ask you 10,000 questions. Just tell me to I'm shut just up. just nosy. <laughs> yes. I love to know about people. I find it so fascinating. And so me too, I sort of make my tiny groups like last night, they had this massive, you know, dance party and a gifting party, which was, I'm not going to lie, so cool. We got all the swag <laughs> and it was oh, like, awesome. it was so cool. I've never seen anything like it. So you basically, we waited in this very long line to get into this room filled with these amazing vendors. A lot of them were sponsors. And essentially you got to choose from, there was all these tables. There was probably like 15 or 20 tables. You got to choose five items you wanted to bring home. And it was amazing because it wasn't, for lack of a better word, it was not crap. It was beautiful stuff. I got a beautiful scarf. I got a really cool mug. I got a juju kit to get rid of bad juju, Mary. I'm extremely, I am so excited by this. I want one of those. Oh my God. I'm going to share it with you. I'll show you when I get home. It is like the coolest thing. But what I did was I essentially found, gathered all the people that were standing around me in the line and made them my best friends. So I met these four amazing women. They came from, one woman was from Augusta, Georgia, another from Orange County, and another woman from Mexico. It was so cool. And we became buddies. We chatted for like 15 minutes. And so that's sort of how I navigate those very large conferences is just like one person at a dime. You have to, you have to, otherwise it's, it's too much. And you have like, I've been to some events and they weren't even that large where you feel like, oh, what am I going to do? I don't, I literally don't know anybody here, but you have to just befriend the person next to you. Exactly. So I met someone in line when we were checking in and then we ended up chatting for quite a while afterwards and I still stay in touch with her actually. So are you talking about Amber? No, I'm talking about um, Melanie, oh, Melanie Curtis. Because I'm thinking about Amber De La Garza. That's true. Who was yeah. a, who was actually a guest on this podcast a while ago and one of my favorite people on the planet and you and her like became really like awesome buddies that's true at business in november mm-hmm. and i thought you guys knew each other ahead of time like but i had no, no we idea didn't. yeah we didn't yeah. and we went for massages in yes. our free time and everything yeah it was awesome you guys were amazing and so it's stuff like that that it's just that's for me the way to be most visible in a in a large conference like this is to just strike and I don't lead with work so like the women that were in front of me were talking about something completely different and I just interjected myself because I'm not shy it was great and eventually we got a, a like to learn about what they did but I sort of just like to know about people and I find when you don't lead with work and you sort of lead yeah. with like what brings you here or even like wow this line is long <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or what do you think is going to be in the gifting room? It just is such an easy sort of way to make conversation. And it I don't know, it works. So today, Rosie is awesome. <laughs> I'll say that. She is going to talk to us about publishing, what it's like to get published. She has, well, I'll read her bio in a minute, but really all about getting your name out there, how you can pitch to people in the publishing world. It's fantastic. She's hilarious. I'm excited. Yep. So Rosie Colosi is a published author, an experienced editor, an all-around word wizard, and a firm believer that everyone has a unique, meaningful, unforgettable story to tell. She spent the majority of her career in children's publishing, selecting and writing books sold through scholastic book clubs. Today, she works with clients to brainstorm, edit, refine, and craft all types of writing, including books, blogs, website content, 
and college application essays. Her current projects include completing her first National Geographic Reader, writing empowering content for NBC's Know Your Value, and documenting the ins and outs of motherhood on theweek.com. She also scours the recesses of the internet to fill a kid's prank book with the most hilarious pranks of all time. So that's a little bit of Rosie, and now on to the episode. Hi, Rosie. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mary. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. We're cover so many great things today. And as you know, visibility is our word of the month, theme for the month. So can you tell the audience a little bit about what projects you're working on right now? Yes. I do a lot of writing for children, but I'm kind of transitioning into writing for grown-ups, at least some of the time. I am writing some articles for NBC News, which is really exciting. Mika from Morning Joe has a website called Know Your Value, which is all about empowering women. And I am writing several articles for her. So it's been really fun. That's awesome. I Yeah, your articles are so funny. I love reading them. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. You cover great topics. Okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit today about writing books and articles and copywriting and all the things that you do. If someone is interested in getting more into this space that they want to get published and be featured somewhere, are there advantages or disadvantages to any of those avenues, whether it's books or articles and so on? Well, I mean, getting published absolutely anywhere gives you credibility, whether it's a book from a traditional publisher, a magazine article, literally even going to Squarespace five minutes from now and starting your own blog and just putting your own writing online automatically gives you credibility. It makes you seem really knowledgeable about what you do. If you want to pick one of those avenues, don't get overwhelmed. Like if you do all the research and try to figure out which is the absolute best avenue for you, you can kind of go insane. So it's best to literally just start writing and getting your work out there in some way. Self-publishing is really big right now. It's exploding. There are so many different channels and avenues to do it. It could be as simple as I said, as starting a blog of your own. You can write articles for a website that has a lot of open submissions. You can even do something. I mean, you might not think about this as writing a book or self-publishing, but even somebody who's a photographer, say, can make like this fancy little electronic magazine with all of your pricing and business information, as well as you can write blogs about what you should be wearing in a family portrait. If you're setting up your wedding photography, tips and tricks to kind of make your day run smoothly. It could be a wide variety of different things. So Rosie, a follow-up question about visibility. What do you say to someone if they ask, why do I need this for visibility? What would be the biggest reason? Why you need to, to be in print or online media. So on the one hand, it puts a timestamp on your business. So if you do an article tomorrow, let's say, and you are still running your business in four years, then someone who is Googling you or doing whatever futuristic thing we're going to be doing in four years can <laughs> back and say, oh, in 2019, Mary was doing this in her business. So she's been doing this for a while. That's 
it's really reassuring to know that she's been in business and has made an impact enough that someone wanted to interview her for this article or she put out this book all on her own. So I think that's one way. Another way is that you can then take the logo of Motherly or NBC or theweek.com and put it on your own website to say, hey, I'm associated with this. If you click this link, you can see some of the super smart, insightful things that I said. And again, it just puts your name in more places. And it's very reassuring to people who want to hire you because they know that you are known and trusted outside outside of maybe just the person who recommended you. Yeah, the credibility, I think, outside of your fan base, but really in a larger viewpoint, I could see how that's very impactful, even for working with other people in the future and everything. Yeah, like even just thinking about my own wedding vendors, for example, you know, when I was looking for a photographer, I was looking for a singer, I was looking for whoever, if you scroll down to the bottom of their website, and they you see as seen on Wedding Wire or as seen on Best of whatever, it makes you think, oh, wow, they're they're really good. You know, not just because I think so, but because somebody else thought so. Yeah, that's a good point. One more thing about eBooks. If you go the self-publishing route and do something on your own, even if it's just like a 24-page pamphlet, and, and when I say pamphlet, I'm talking about all electronic stuff, like not even a physical copy. If you have something like an eBook, or a pamphlet that you have written, when other people see that they're impressed, they don't know if you only gave the file to your mom and your brother, or if 10,000 people read it, it makes you seem like a legitimate author and a legitimate expert. That's great. Even if your family buys all your copies. (laughs) Yes, for sure. (laughs) It's true. Well, you put the time, you put the time and the effort in. So, you know, yeah, excellent. I like that. Can you talk to me a little bit about what is open submission? And is there another option besides that closed submission? I don't know. <laughs> Making that up. <laughs> yes, writers can. The, the closed submission that you mentioned is when you have a literary agent and your agent submits your work for you. Kind of like when you're an actor and you get an agent and your agent sends you on auditions, you're just not showing up places by yourself. A lot of traditional publishers do not accept unsolicited submissions, which would just be like me, Rosie, sitting down and writing a book and sending all the pages somewhere with a letter saying, my name is Rosie, here's my book, please publish it. Um, That would be an unsolicited submission. A lot of publishers don't accept those. So you have to go through a literary agent. And that's specifically talking about book publishing. If you're talking about articles, the same kind of like official agent type channel exists. But other websites will accept submissions of all kinds. So all you have to do is look at any website. For example, Motherly, the website is coming to mind because they occasionally accept submissions. So I just went to the Motherly website and scrolled all the way to the bottom where all the like legal language and teeny print is. And there's usually some kind of link or button that says call for submissions. And you can click on that and see what they're requesting and what they're asking of you. Follow those directions exactly. Because if they ask for your name and 500 words, they don't want to read like a 12,000 page book that you wrote. You know, they want you to fit the criteria exactly. So that's 
one way that like anybody could do it. You know, my mom could do it. My dentist could do it. Anyone could submit something. It might take you a long time to hear back from them. So it's not something that necessarily happens overnight. And don't get discouraged if someone doesn't take your writing because motherly didn't take my writing. And you know what? They don't pay either. You do. I think they're mostly freebies. And the same article that got rejected by motherly for free was picked up by theweek.com and they paid me for it. So oh, that's, that's awesome. something to keep in mind. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, there is so much great information in there. A lot of our listeners, they're in the influencer space or they're entrepreneurs. So they might already be publishing their own content, you know, whether it's in social media or on blog posts and things like that. And maybe now they're looking to get to the next level and, and get some other visibility for their business that comes from outside of what they're creating themselves. Do you have any recommendations on if I mean, I guess, like you said, anyone can can go looking, but are there any recommendations on if they should be approaching certain types of people or publications or because it, it's not going to come to them, right? It depends. Sometimes it does. Like if you have a big enough following and you are visible enough in social media, someone could find you. So, for example, I had to write an article about moms who are doing a lot of work inside the home that used to traditionally work in corporate. And Mary's going to be a part of that yeah. article. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> should be out next week. So as a person who writes myself, I could contact a social influencer just because they're on my radar as a person of interest in the world. But you can also pitch yourself to magazines and publications, which is a trickier process. And I don't actually think there's even one right way to do it. For example, if you are a social influencer with a decent following, you could look up people who write articles that you think that you might be fit for. And chances are that person will write a similar article in a similar vein in the upcoming month. So for example, if someone read a piece that I had written about motherhood in general, they could probably Google my name, find out where I am, send me an email that says something like, hey, I'm a social influencer. I've got this following. If you're ever writing a story about women in the Northeast who are moms, who are influencers, who do try on sessions or who do fun art projects with kids, I'd love to be considered. And you might hear back, you might never hear back. No one has ever done this to me personally, but I was just thinking this morning about what a good idea that would be. <laughs> like if someone just said in a non-pushy way, hey, I'm this person, here's what I've done. If you ever need me, I'm here. I'd love to be a part of an article that you're writing. And honestly, I spend a lot of time searching for people to interview. So it would be really helpful to kind of have a Rolodex of these people that I could just refer to when needed. That's a good point. How about in terms of if you're reaching out to someone or someone has an opportunity to be in an article, is there anything that they should look out for or a way that they should prepare or anything like that? I mean, I think... It's always wise to research people that contact you. For example, when I say that I'm writing an article for NBC News, I assume that most people know what that is and know the kind of the type of article it would be. 
Um, and I also try to include when I'm reaching out to people, like here is an example of a similar article that I did, just so you can be reassured that I'm not an internet troll out to find mm-hmm. you and make you look bad. So it is always good if it's a smaller publication or something that's not as familiar to do your dil- due diligence and just make sure everything's on the up and up. And if I'm so if I'm approached to be included in an article, can I expect to be able to see the article before it's published? Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, that's just not possible. Um, when you think about deadlines and editing and all the people who are involved, the timeline is just too tight to go back and forth and say, okay, well, I did save this, but I would really like you to include this. Like it just gets a little bit too tricky. And a lot of times you just don't have the right perspective. Like as as Mary, you know what you're saying, but you don't always have the same perspective as the listener. And mm-hmm. a writer would have a better idea of how to make you look good than you might have yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I definitely I've done a couple of those where I was approached. And then I thought afterwards, like, oh, it would be nice if I could if I could see it. But then I see it when it's published. Um, but I was just curious if that ever happens. Yeah. And I imagine the lag time is really scary. Because you're like, you think <laughs> I put this out in the world. I said these things. Now they're going to come back to me at some point. What did I say? (laughs) Did I sound like an idiot? But just know that, I mean, for the most part, when you research things, people want to make you sound good because it makes the writer sound good. So that's one way to think about it. I like that. And also, once you get interviewed for an article the chances are much higher that someone else will find you to do a similar interview. Because for example, I wrote an article for NBC about cleaning out your refrigerator day in November. And I had to find experts to comment on the topic. And one of the ways that I did that was look for other articles about food safety. I found people who were quoted as being food safety experts. And I approached those people to be in my article. So, you know, it's the whole work begets work thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. I know we've talked about this before. I'm switching tracks a little bit, but in the same vein as all of this, when you talk about researching someone and looking, having more information about them, it could be that they come to the bio, right, of your about page or that they're trying to find, you know, a little more detail on you. Being a copywriter, can you (laughs) explain a little bit about what that's like and what people should have set up in their bio that could maybe help them be more visible? An about page is one of the most important pages you can have on your website. It's also the page that makes people the most uncomfortable to write themselves. It's definitely the most requested thing that I get, which is kind of interesting and makes a lot of sense. So people, the tendency is for people to think I'm not interesting. I have nothing to offer. And a thousand people can do what I do better than me. You also people also tend to want to be very general. I find what works really well is being super specific. It's great to kind of give your highlight reel excuse me, highlight reel of stuff you've done in the past. You have to like find that fine line between being too braggy and kind of getting your expertise across. I always like being a little bit lighthearted on the about me page. Like you don't take yourself too, too seriously. So there are a number of different routes people can take. And sometimes the best one is to literally just ask your family and friends, how would you describe me? Because a lot of those words, and and as they're saying, how as they're responding to you, record them talking. 
which sometimes makes people uncomfortable. So you could like hide the recorder if you wanted to, but it's great to use the actual words that people say about you in a description of yourself. Instead of like changing it or remembering it from memory. And then it's like, you're describing it a diff- different way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you, I, I might say that someone is bubbly and they might take that, internalize it and say that there's, you know, change change the wording and the phrasing to be something that they're comfortable with, but not really how other people see them. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Or they might end up like describing themselves not as well, right? Because that's the whole point too. Yeah. Like you, you want other people to help you describe yourself more fully and people on their own maybe do that a little bit less like you said yeah and definitely don't fall into the the trap of being too general because it's it's like something you want to be some somebody that everybody cares about but if you try to reach everybody then no one's really going to care if you give specific grounded details about yourself, then people will tend to embrace that. So for example, I say on my own website that I'm, I'm a lover of all things Broadway, which is kind of a nod to the theatrical portion of my career. But it's even if someone who's reading that doesn't like theater or doesn't like Broadway, they have an aunt or a cousin or a nephew or a niece who really loves that sort of thing. So they can relate to it in that way. Are there any words that you would say are off limits or that you shouldn't use in an about me section? I can't say I've ever really given that any consideration before, to be <laughs> honest, because in some ways I feel like there's there's a lid for every pot. You know, whatever your business is, there is a fan base out there just waiting for you to publish your content. But of course, you want to stay very politically correct. You don't want to, oh my gosh, make things ugly in any way. It's great to stay positive. You know, if I follow a woman who's a copywriter who curses all the time, and I'm not a person that curses in my life or in my business, but I followed her because it was interesting. So if you choose to go that route, I'm sure there are people who will still follow you and read your stuff. Just make sure you are talking to the person that that is your ideal customer. Are there any things that they should always do when writing an about me page? Yes. I think this is a very big one is to, in addition to talking about yourself, you also want to keep in mind what value you can provide to your customer. Again, if you think about wedding photographers, I just helped someone with their about me page the other day. I was going to say, you're really into the weddings, Rosie. And, and uh, I know. I- you're past married already you have kids (laughs) I was I almost went into like a uh I think I did a whole blog on help with planning your wedding just because I found it such an emotional and fascinating process (laughs) but I mean if you're a bride looking to hire a photographer you really want to find someone that you like and trust but also you're looking for someone you like and trust in the context of what can this person do for me So put yourself in the mind of your ideal customer and think, okay, well, what would that person want to see on my page? Um, If you're selling postpartum mesh underwear, for example, you probably know that mothers who have newborns have zero time to read or do anything. So you probably want to get to the point pretty quickly, you know, that kind of thing, like just keep in mind who your customer is and really tailor what you're putting out there to that person. That's great advice. Thanks, Rosie. I think everyone will be running to their about me pages or 
wondering if they even have one set up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I do think that's something you should go back to because you change your business changes. Even myself, when I went back to look at mine, I was like, why do I still have that on there? I don't even offer that anymore. You know, make sure everything's staying up to date. Yeah. Like when you do a business refresh, you know, Mm -hmm. look at that as one of the pieces. I love that idea. Rosie, you gave so many great tips and insight for the audience about a number of things. I hope this allows people to step their foot out there more and get visible. Um, Before we go, though, I have a couple more questions for you. One, if you can tell the audience where they can find you, if they want to work more with you, contact you, maybe fix their about page. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm at Write With Rosie, and that's W-R-I-T-E with Rosie, R-O-S-I-E dot com, and also Write With Rosie on Instagram. Well, Rosie, we have one final question that we ask everyone that joins us on the show. What is something that you used to fear in your business, but you don't anymore? Oh my gosh, so many things. And I still fear so many things. (laughs) But I think (laughs) as we all do, (laughs) when I was leaving my full time job was the fear that I wouldn't make any money. And you would think that I would be more okay with this because I worked for years as an actor and unemployment was my constant state of being. And it was like, wow, if someone wants to pay me to sing for two weeks, that's really cool. And then you go back to being unemployed. And somehow through all that time, my my rent still got paid and, you know, no one shut off my phone the whole time. So you would think that because I had that experience, I went back to corporate life and then started my own business. So you would think that I would be accustomed to the ebb and flow of money coming into the business. But it's still really scary. When you say goodbye to that corporate paycheck, you don't have insurance under your name. You're just thinking, how the heck can I make this work? And I've got kids now. And how can I take care of them? And how can I pay the daycare and buy groceries? And it's, it is really crazy that when you put out into the world what you want, it somehow comes to you. Maybe not in a form that you want it to, but it, it does happen at some point. And you just got to hang on and enjoy the ride. I totally believe that. I'm between myself and Jamie. I'm definitely the more woo of the two of us. (laughs) We've (laughs) talked about it on another episode. Um, She talked to Amanda about it. But I agree. I mean, some of these things and what you have to let go of. But money is a very powerful thing. So thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, I think that's a fear of a lot of people. I feared that, too, when I left my corporate job, when I left my big consulting projects, too. It it comes back to you in different ways, but it gets easier and better. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show, Rosie. I really enjoyed having you today. Thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. Yeah, me too. Mary, that was awesome. Rosie is really fun. That was a great interview. I learned a lot. She's so fun. She has so many great tips. I loved it. If you want to continue this conversation, join us in the HQ. You can find a link to our group in the show notes. And be sure and look for us in iTunes and any other place that you listen to podcasts. And please subscribe. And if you wouldn't mind, we'd love a review. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. We'd love it if you'd subscribe and share this podcast. Reviews are amazing too. Visit fearlessbusinesspodcast.com for more information.
If you'd like to connect with Jamie, visit hashtag-legal.com. And if you'd like to connect with Mary, visit thetransitionscollective.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.